Hey everybody, the song today is called Energy by Tyla Jane. Um, I recently found that song and uh, I am big fan, big fan. So we have the usual warning. I am not a professional. Maybe one day I will be, but today is not that day. Do not take anything I say as gospel and please seek professional help if you think you need it. So today we're going to move towards something that's a little bit of a different area of psychology, one that not many psychologists or people in scientific fields really think of as scientific in general. Um, however, I will share some studies that say the contrary. Not too many people here uh, know what I did for a large chunk of my 20s, and not too many people will honestly believe anything I have to say in this episode, but... So I started and ran a paranormal research group. I won't say the name because I am no longer affiliated with them at all in any sense, but we started off just wanting to see what we could experience. We always did our best to debunk things or prove that something that happened was natural and not supernatural. But today, I'm going to share with you a few stories that will probably stick with me forever. I also just wanted to add that when I start paying attention to things on that side, you know, weird shit usually happens. <laughs> I've ignored this side of things for a while now, but as I was sitting here reminiscing and writing out these stories to tell you all, my power just zapped out. <laughs> it's not stormy. It's like sunny and 25 degrees outside. And I, I just got up and went upstairs and I'm like, nope, <laughs> not today. And you know what I see when I get upstairs? The neighbors still have power. I don't know what happened, but um, I'm just going to ignore it. <laughs> anyway, so I'm just going to explain a few things before I get into the stories, so hopefully some of it will make more sense. There are different types of hauntings, and the two main types are residual and intelligent hauntings. So residual hauntings are, well, residual, so that means that basically it's just leftover energy that gets stuck in a loop. So let's say every night at like 1.15 sharp, you hear footsteps walking around in the same area. I would bet that if you did some digging, you would find out that somebody who lived there either in the building before or even on the land had a habit of walking around at that time. So energy kind of leaves this trail and it can replay itself until it basically burns out and that is residual energy. On the other hand, intelligent hauntings are those that are able to communicate with the living in an effective way. For example, asking for a certain number of knocks as yes or no answers to questions you ask, or turning a flashlight on and off when asked, or EVPs, which are electronic voice phenomenon. Most people use digital recorders for EVPs, and you can hear things that maybe your ears can't. One thing that I find very interesting um, going into paranormal investigating and just as a person in general, our eyesight and what we can hear, like the wavelengths that we can hear, are very small in comparison to the entire scale that we know of so far. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities that different technology can hear things that perhaps our ears can't. So these kind of intelligent EVPs would be a great example of intelligent hauntings. And I'd argue that intelligent hauntings have, and it's, they belong to souls, basically. There's souls attached to those beings. So first of all, what do psychologists think paranormal events are? Well, I remember sitting in my Psych 101 class as a shiny new psychology student who was also clearly very interested in this stuff. 
And unfortunately, at the time, science was not in favor of paranormal experiences. And we did get on the topic of paranormal things in class. Uh, and our prof flat out told us that they were simply malfunctions in your nervous system. And in my head, I was like, hey, it's bullshit. Um, I think that your nervous system controls a lot of things. Uh, it can do well, it can do a lot of things on the unconscious level. And maybe, you know, there are some explanations. But as you will find out, I have lots of stories of some things that just do not do not compute. So yeah, this prof was like, nah, it's just malfunctions in your nervous system. There's no such thing as ghosts and afterlife energy. Like, he was like so far on the other side of that argument. And, um, but actually like overall, he was like a super great prof. Actually, he's like head of the department now. <laughs> um, but he was a great prof. He just did not believe in that stuff at all, period. However... There is something called parapsychology, though it can be very controversial within the psychology community and the scientific communities in, in general. But parapsychology studies anomalies of behavior and experience called paranormal experiences. And paranormal phenomena, they transcend the boundaries of time, space, and force. And we very briefly had parapsychology classes at the university I went to for undergrad. But by the time I was able to take them, the one and only professor had retired and they just trashed the class altogether, even though it was very popular. Like people scrambled to get into that class. I found a few journals talking about recent studies on parapsychology. The following was published by the National Library of Medicine uh, Psychiatric Journal. And the title of it, if you wanted to look for it, is called Relevance of Parapsychology in Psychiatric Practice, and it was published in 2011. And so I kind of went through there because I wanted to know what what kind of research has been coming out over like the last decade, um, and just kind of what their take is on it now. So parapsychology is divided into two main branches. The first one is extra extrasensory perception, which is ESP, which I'm kind of assuming most people know what that is. They also call it like the sixth sense, and it's a paranormal ability pertaining to reception of information not gained through the recognized physical senses, but with the mind. So that includes things like telep telepathy or communication between two geographically separated people outside the range of our normal sensory organs. So just using their minds and being able to communicate information that way. And then there's another kind of ESP, which is clairvoyance, or knowledge of hidden objects or events occurring outside the physical reach of the person. And then the third is precognition, or knowledge of future events that cannot be predicted or inferred from the information available. So basically what we know as premonitions. And then the second branch of uh, parapsychology is psychokinesis, and that is the ability to move objects by mental force alone. Something that kind of surprised me um, when I was looking at this study that I mentioned was, I'll just, here's the quote, a considerable number of cases of paranormal experiences have been carefully investigated, found authentic by independent investigators, and published in scientific books and journals of high standards. These publications include different aspects of paranormal experiences, such as telepathy, near-death experiences, and out-of-body experiences, as long as, or along with apparitions, poltergeist, and reincarnation. And I'm referring here mostly to the work of psychiatrists and other mental health professionals, end quote. And this journal goes on to say that in studies done on premonitions specifically between 10 to 15% of people reported having had communication from people not in contact with them. Perception of such communications generally occur in visual or auditory modalities, and such visions occur usually during an altered state of consciousness, like dozing or daydreaming, and the person perceived is usually a close relative or a friend in crisis or stress stressful situation, 
often in a life-threatening situation. And then the journal goes on to talk about apparitions or basically seeing a ghost. And they say that they're rare occurrences, you know, unless you're a paranormal investigator or you're sensitive. Um, but yeah, they say that it's rare, but it's a thing. I, I was just so surprised reading this. And then they go on to talk about poltergeists. Poltergeists have always fascinated me because I feel like this stuff is more rare. And while I was traveling and doing research, I learned that poltergeists can actually be self-made, which blew my mind, but it makes sense. Just let me explain. All right, so the official definition of a poltergeist is a ghost or other supernatural being supposedly responsible for physical disturbances such as loud noises and objects thrown around. And the part of this that I learned later on was the fact that many times the energy being focused and doing the moving is your own, and it happens unconsciously. One theory is that someone who is under a considerable amount of extreme stress and all that emotion is unconsciously focused on the objects around them, and that results in objects moving. However, since the person experiencing seeing things flying around the room has no idea that it's them, that can be terrifying and just add to their stress, and that creates a cycle. However, it is, in my opinion anyway, entirely possible for legitimate hauntings and, and, and entities to move objects. And I will tell you a story about that in a minute. So this journal goes on to talk about near-death experiences. I've talked about near-death experiences on this podcast before. If you have not heard that episode, uh, I don't remember exactly which one it is. Maybe six? I could be wrong. But in this journal, it said that science scientific studies of NDEs or near-death experiences have shown that most other paranormal experiences or like most other paranormal experiences, um, NDEs too were reported by psychologically healthy individuals, which is a good thing to note because I feel like people get labeled as crazy far too often when they're, they're not. I don't like the word crazy in general. I think it's probably derogatory. I digress. So it goes on to say, Individual features of NDEs might be explained, but some of them, such as being out of the body and watching the events take place from a vantage point, they have enhanced mental processes when physiological functioning is severely impaired, like you always hear about those people that, you know, their heart stops, they're clinically dead, they've been dead for, you know, five, ten minutes, whatever, and they can see the doctors around them, they remember what they said, that kind of thing. So also that and paranormal knowledge of distantly occurring events um, occur during the same experience. And they provide strong evidence of independent existence of the mind. So glad, so glad that researchers are finally catching up, <laughs> is what I'm going to say. They also briefly talked about reincarnation and said that there are nearly 2,600 reported cases of reincarnation that have been scientifically investigated in several cultures over about the past five decades. In up to 80% of cases, a deceased person matching the statements of the child was identified. It's also been noted that birthmarks are often areas of the body that were injured and caused death in past lives. I have a book called Old Souls. Basically, this doctor travels around the world trying to see if these lives that these children claim to remember, if they're legitimate or not. And then this book was written by a journalist who shadow shadowed him all over the world, followed him, made sure that there was no hokey business going on. And it was just, it was really interesting. Also, something that I found very interesting in this study was the fact that for, I think, like the first time ever, Outside of the church, um, possession was mentioned as a good possibility as well. My, how things have changed in the medical community in the last decade. Wild. They also talk about past life regressions. Past life regression is a method that uses hypnosis to recover what practitioners believe 
are memories of past lives or reincarnations. As a mode of psychotherapy, hypnosis itself, not for past life regressions, has gained acceptability and seems to offer certain patients, especially those with phobias, relief in much shorter time than other therapies. However, many professionals are not on board when it comes to the validity of past life regressions in hypnotherapy. I've mentioned in other episodes, um, I believe one being false memories and eyewitness testimonies, that it is very easy to implant ideas into people's heads when they're susceptible. And when someone is under hypnosis, that that's the whole point. They're in a very vulnerable and susceptible state. And so it could be really easy for a hypnotherapist to plant all kinds of things. And I'm not saying that that happens every time or at all, but it is a possibility. So like I said, there is still a pretty big divide within the community. A lot of people still fully believe all of these things can be explained away. However, a quick jog down research lane can show you that this, view this viewpoint is changing, and I'm really happy about it. I remember looking into this kind of stuff like 10 or 12 years ago when I first started psychology, and there was very little academic material in favor of it. Now, that doesn't really seem to be the case, which makes me happy. And I'm also loving how a lot of therapists or counselors or what have you are now using multiple modalities to attempt to connect their clients, both like body and mind, and hitting the spiritual side of things as well. I think that's really important. And connecting like spiritual body and mind is, in my opinion, different than something like somatic experiencing, which is basically trying to regulate your nervous system. Um, your, your mind and your body can be very, very disconnected or dysregulated. And so somatic experiencing tries to regulate your nervous system so everything can kind of work together better. And so that is different, in my opinion, than spirituality, connecting the mind and body that way. Okay, now here is what most people are probably here for, the stories the experiences. There are a few stories I'm not going to talk about because it will give energy to these things and they're not good things and they feed off attention, which I do not need. But I promise there will be good stories here. Okay, so we're going to start off with a bang. In the small city that I currently live in, there are condos right next to one of the hospitals. I got called to investigate whatever it was that was going on. It sounded pretty wild from what the client had told us. Cupboards were flying open and dishes were flying out, full body apparitions, you name it. It just sounded wild. And looking back, I had no idea what I was walking into and it showed. So we get there, we do a walkthrough with the clients, they took us around and showed us where things have been happening and so on. So we start to set up all of our equipment, cameras, sensors, everything. And I'm standing in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, I start to feel really weird. And the only way I can describe it is, like, this pressure that just came over me. But it, like, seeped in. It started in my head and just slowly sunk down my body. And it felt so weird, and I have never felt this since. And I, I don't want to. <laughs> I started getting really dizzy, like I was about to pass out or puke. Or both. And I I'd, I'd just never felt like this before. So I told the others I was going to just step outside for some fresh air for a second. It was like 20 feet to the door. And all of a sudden my vision starts to go. Like full on tunnel vision to black type thing. And I stumble out the door and fall over on the sidewalk and just start projectile vomiting everywhere. And I'm blind. I can't see. But as all of this is happening, I get this overwhelming sense of like, you can't be here. I don't want you here. Basically, go away. And I kind of sat there for a minute, just puking. And then the second, the second I decided, okay, I can't do this. I'm going to listen to whatever this is and just back off. It was like a light switch flipped and everything just stopped. My vision came back. I instantly felt better. I wasn't nauseous. 
And then right after that, one of my teammates came outside and was like, um, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, no, you need to take me home and you are going to have your hands full here because whatever this is doesn't like me and I am not messing with it whatsoever. (laughs) So I go back inside because I have to get my jacket and stuff and kind of like quickly fill in the homeowners and they're like, oh yeah, you're not the first person that that's happened to. And I was basically like, good luck with that, bye. <laughs> and that's just one thing that I, I just did not want to mess with. Um, when it can manipulate people like that, that's just a big no for me. And that was my very first investigation. That was my introduction to paranormal investigating. So out of all these stories, I also wanted to kind of put one in there that we completely debunked entirely. There was one client that had reached out to us and they said all these crazy things were happening and we're like, yeah, of course, like we'll come out, look into it. And so we got there. Um, He ended up not wanting to be there. That's actually fairly common um, that people don't want to be there while we're doing it because it does stir things up and some people just aren't into that. But we basically found out that this particular person was using certain kinds of illegal drugs and that actually the things that they said that they were experiencing were actually from drug-induced psychosis. So that one got wrapped up pretty quick. Now here is another one that will stay with me forever and it is a team favorite. We called this place the Hell House, and honestly, it's not that overdramatic when you hear about it. So this couple called us, they had a small child, and they were all experiencing some wild things. Okay, yeah, sure, we'll come check it out. So they'd only lived there for about three months, but when we met them at this address, they met us outside, refused to come in, they just gave us the keys and said good luck and left. It was a little bit odd, but okay. So we go inside, set up, get underway, the normal. It really didn't take long to see why this guy, who fit the stereotypical, like, tough guy look, uh, refused to even step foot in this place. Myself and two other investigators were down in the basement, and this basement was unfinished. They had tried to hire multiple companies to finish it, but all of them had quit halfway through with no explanation. Just no one could stand to be down there. So all there was were like some framing and a concrete floor. So three of us were down there and we had just put new batteries in all of our cameras and in our equipment. And we were down there for maybe five minutes and everything just drained and died. And that's usually a sign or sign number one that something is messing with you, even if it's silent. So one guy goes back upstairs to find some batteries. Myself and this other investigator, who, by the way, was a skeptic until this night, were talking to each other and standing maybe 10 feet from the bottom of the stairs. A minute later, we see our other investigator coming back down the stairs. So we turn back to what we were doing, expecting him to come over with the batteries that we needed. But he didn't. So we turn back and no one is downstairs with us. Yet we just heard boots on every step and watched a man come down the stairs right in front of us. We had walkie-talkies, so we radioed our other investigator saying, like, where did you go? He's like, I'm still upstairs. I can't find the batteries. Where are they? And me and this other guy are just, like, looking at each other like, no fucking way. Like, you saw that, right? And we're like, are you sure you didn't just come back downstairs? And he's like, no, I can't find the batteries. I've been looking for them in all of our bags. We were floored. (laughs) The second experience from that night, which scared me, if I'm honest, because it was similar to the story before this at that other house. So we were again downstairs and there were people asking questions, trying to communicate with whatever this thing was. And I was operating one of the cameras. So I was standing back a bit. And the energy down there was high, like, this thing is still one of the most powerful things I've had to tangle with. And I'm looking through the cameras because it has night vision, so I can actually see more than everyone else at this point. And all of a sudden, 
I see this like black blanket basically just like sweep over the camera. Like I couldn't see the screen anymore and I was holding it. And I felt this like cold, electric, heavy feeling go through my body. And in my head, I'm like, oh, hell no. Mm-mm. Nope, I'm done. So I walked up to the person nearest to me, slowly handed them the camera and just walked upstairs and out the front door. Eventually, I did go back inside and I finished the investigation. And that was not the last, what the hell was that, of the night. So again, while we were downstairs, we hear the front door open and slam. So we figured that the homeowners had changed their minds and they decided to come hang out for a bit. And we can hear boots, heavy boots, going across the living room, through the kitchen, and then stopped at the stairs. And we paused waiting, and nobody came down. So we went up to see who was here, or there. We went up to see who had come in. No one was there. The door was still locked. And the fun part, it had been snowing all night. It was the middle of winter. We opened the front door. And there was fresh, untouched snow on that step and all the way down the sidewalk. No one had disturbed it. Like, tell me that that's not weird. (laughs) So we spent more than one night in this place. The second investigation we did there, the homeowners decided to come but still refused to go downstairs. They stayed upstairs. And we didn't know this, but they had invited some friends. And that's not something that we would normally want during an investigation because it can contaminate things. There's just too much noise, too many people moving around, just too many people to keep tabs on if we did get possible evidence. However, we told everyone, okay, sit in the living room against this wall. Don't move. Do not talk during filming or EVPs. Don't even whisper. And they were all very cooperative. There ended up being about 10 of us there. And as things got going that night, of course, whatever was there was not shy and started messing with people. In a way, I'm really glad this happened, but it was, it was wild. So these people are all sitting upstairs, silent. And all of a sudden, this girl beside me just gasps. And I turn to look where she's looking, and I see it too. Everyone can see it and watch this happen. Again, that black mass comes out of their kitchen, goes past the living room, and down the hallway. And as it turned the corner, this girl starts absolutely screaming. My first instinct was to prove that that didn't just happen. We tried everything we could to think of to, like, replicate that shadow, but we just couldn't do it. We even went outside and used flashlights through the windows trying to, like, create a shadow to get it to you know, do it again. We drove down the street with headlights on. It wasn't that. We just, we didn't have an explanation for it. And I'm, I'm just glad an entire room full of people saw what I had seen in the basement. And now this story gets even freaking weirder. We didn't know this until after, but after we collected all of our evidence, we went to these people's new house to show them. And that's when they told us about the man who had previously owned the house. He went missing. Nobody, nobody has any idea what happened to him. Like, he's a cold case. Now, the really messed up part, it still gives me chills. So, of course, their their kid doesn't know this about this guy that went missing. I think he was, like, this kid was maybe four or five. But when they moved to their new house, one day their kid was like, when are we going home? And they're like, well, we are home. We live here now. And the kid was like, well, what about the man who works in the basement? And they're like, uh, he's staying there. <laughs> like, no way. That man that came down the stairs right in front of us and just disappeared. The heavy boots walking around the upstairs. Like, yeah, no, that house was an absolute gold mine of paranormal activity. And it was actually a rental. And we had talked to the landlord because, like I said, we had a TV show and we were filming for it. But in the end, he refused to let us release the footage because he said he had a really hard time keeping renters and didn't want that kind of attention. I'm like, yeah, I bet you're having problems keeping renters. Jesus. All right, on to the next 
So in the early days of our group, before we ever had a show, before we ever really, really got into things, we would hunt around for whatever we could find to do little investigations at. And we lived on the prairies and there was a lot of old semi or completely abandoned churches scattered around the countryside. And one in particularly, it pleasantly surprised me, honestly. I wasn't expecting that much. Just because something is aesthetically creepy doesn't, doesn't mean it's haunted. However, this church became a favorite spot for us. Our first real investigation there was pretty cool to say the least. For most of the night, we didn't really experience anything. It was dragging, but that happens sometimes. So we decided to send in one of the girls alone to do some EVPs, the electronic voice phenomena, to try to communicate with anything that might be there see if maybe just having one person in there would work better. Spirits can be shy too, you know. So she went in there with a night vision camera and recorder, sat down in one of the back pews of this church and started asking questions. At one point earlier in the night, we had left a like aerosol can of bug spray sitting in the aisle between the pews. Somebody had just kind of like left it there. Well, as she's asking questions, This can flies and tumbles down the aisle. And this was the first time I had ever seen anything move by itself. And I was floored. And this girl really took it like a champ. She didn't run out screaming or anything. She did come out not long after, though, and showed us what happened. And we, of course, we checked for drafts. We checked for, like, vibrations from the road. Like, anything that could have moved this can like that. And there was, there was nothing. The second awesome experience there was, again, we set up a camera and recorder on a chair at the end of the aisle near the back of the church. And then we all left for a while. Like, left the grounds completely. It's not uncommon for spirits to be curious about equipment or even catching some kind of residual energy. For this particular experience, I'm pretty sure it was an intelligent haunting, and here's why. So we left the camera and recorder set up on the end of the aisle, we leave, come back, and of course, we didn't review all the footage that night or the audio. We took it home, and so we were reviewing it later. I was at my friend's house, we were sitting there, earbuds in, reviewing all the footage and audio from that night. It is a long process. And we're just not getting anything. We're bored out of our minds. And then all of a sudden, we start to hear footsteps and boards creaking. And we kind of look at each other and our ears perked up, rewound it, played it again, kept listening. And I kid you not, if you didn't have the camera seeing essentially nothing, you would have thought that there was a living, breathing person walking around. It walked down the aisle from the pulpit You could hear clothes rustling as they went. Every board creaked under their step. They came up to the camera. You can hear rustling like clothes as they bent around the camera, like they were checking it out. It was the most wild thing to listen to. But here's the wild thing. There's nothing on the camera. There was nothing there except the very obvious footsteps and the clothes moving all the way up to the camera, around the camera. I mean, it's just the the coolest thing to listen to. Yeah, the place is de- that place is definitely haunted. We've had many unexplainable experiences there, but this is just a few. So next one. As our name grew, um, our group became more and more busy across the country. We got calls from all kinds of businesses and private homeowners. A couple who owned a small town barn hotel ended up contacting us and said that we really needed to come out. So we did. And I'll tell you right now, there are some new things that I experienced in that place too, but some of them I just refuse to give my energy to. But I'll tell you one cool story from this place. So myself and someone else from our team were investigating up on the third floor one night. And one thing that a lot of teams do is they unscrew the top of a flashlight so it can't turn on by itself. And then you place it somewhere in the room and you start trying to communicate with whatever might be there. And that's what we did that night. For the first few, like for the first few minutes, there was nothing, which is normal. But soon, a little flash caught our attention, and we both looked at the flashlight and asked if it was them. Like, was that you? 
and asked for two flashes for yes. And it flashed twice. <laughs> and we continued to ask questions and we seem to be getting answers. And one thing I like to do is get them to turn it on completely, no flashes. And then when they figure out how to keep the light on steady, you tell them that you're gonna count down from three. And when you get to one, turn it off. It's just awesome when they're able to communicate and control electronics like that. And that is what happened that night at the hotel. Thing like this is it's probably like my favorite form of communication. I don't find it scary at all, and you can ask questions uh, that you might be wondering about. And this is this is also like a really good example of an intelligent haunting. So the next one is going back to my first couple years of university, when I was first starting university. Um, I worked at one of our community theaters, and I loved it, and the job was perfect for a student. Most nights, I just sat at the front desk and made sure that the place didn't burn down. Usually, I ended up doing homework or watching Netflix. And one night, I was there alone, and I was doing some homework. I was reading a textbook, and I had my feet propped up on another chair, and there was this plastic garbage can under my legs on the floor. And it was dead quiet in there. I didn't even have any creepy feelings or anything. And I was really into this textbook. And then all of a sudden this garbage can under my legs just shoots across the floor. And I pick up my legs and I just froze like, what the hell? I'd heard stories from people, like other employees, about weird things that have happened. But I hadn't seen, heard, or felt anything myself. And, uh, yeah, that pretty much got me considering that it <laughs> might be haunted. Over the time that I worked there, I had quite a few experiences. My manager had asked me if I wanted to make more money. And, of course, I said yes. So I started to do setups and teardowns for events in the theater when, you know, I wasn't working shifts out front. One night I came in to set up for an early morning show, at, and this was later at night, and I was the only one there. I opened the building and I closed it that night. The doors were all locked from the inside while I was there. So I'm setting up and I'm whistling while I worked and I had to pause to think about how I wanted these chairs set up. And again, it was dead silent in there when all of a sudden I hear clear whistling up by the stage and I stopped in my tracks and just like listened. And I hear a few more notes and then it kind of just trailed off. And that kind of stuff doesn't really freak me out either. So I went to the stage and I looked around. Like, I kind of thought maybe one of the managers had come by for some reason, even though it was late. Yeah, no one was there. All the doors were still locked. Whatever or whoever that was uh, got my attention. And I, I kind of just finished up and boogied out of there. So at this point, I was like, yeah, this place definitely has something going on. Plus all the other people who had mentioned weird things. So our team came in one night and did an investigation. During that investigation, I heard one of the coolest EVPs I've ever heard, but I may be biased in this situation. We were downstairs in one of the rehearsal rooms, and the person that I was with asked whoever might be there if they knew who I was. And we didn't hear anything at the time. And this is the beauty of EVPs, the different frequencies of communication. But when we reviewed it later, there was a female voice that clearly said with enthusiasm, Kelsey. And so, yeah, when we went back and listened to it later, I was like, oh, they know who I am. <laughs> Something else that happened during that investigation had to do with the auditorium and the stage again. So we were downstairs in those dressing rooms and there's a staircase, like a back staircase that leads to backstage. While we were down there, we could hear something being dragged up there. And there just so happened to be a camera rolling up there while we were downstairs. So we go up there and of course we don't see anything or anyone that, that, like, that would have made that noise and the sound had stopped. So we grabbed the camera and reviewed it. And yeah, it sounded like something like a music stand or something being dragged in that back little hallway, but you can't see anything. But it sounds like it's right in front of the camera. And that's a spot where we heard it from downstairs too. It could have been a residual thing, but not sure. But that place definitely has some odd things going on. Nothing mean or anything, but it just gets your attention. 
last story for this place. So again, the night of that investigation, we captured a super cool piece of footage. We had a camera set up in the auditorium pointing at the stage. And when we went to review that later that week, we saw a full, not in the slightest bit see-through figure of a man walk between two curtains on the stage. And it was like a black, perfect outline of a person. And they just walked from the, the side of the stage into the curtains going backstage. And uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Especially because we know like 150% there was no one in there at the time. Anyway, that place was really interesting to work at. Not only for the dead, but since it was a theater, the living could be pretty interesting too. The next story is one that makes me laugh looking back on it. I had been dating someone who turned out to be, to say it nicely, not a nice person. Anyway, I was at their place one night a few days after my grandpa had died, and I was telling them about something that I had regrets about while my grandpa had been struggling in the hospital before he ultimately died. And as I'm talking, I can feel this like odd energy, and it's like just this really high vibrating, but not anxiety. It's really hard to explain, but it just kept growing and growing. And as I'm talking about what happened with my grandpa, all of a sudden, this person's phone, which had been sitting on a side table beside us, flies off the table and hits the wall so hard, I thought the phone broke, or the wall had a dent in it, or both. I just paused and sat there like, what the heck was that? But my friend dove under the blanket that was on our legs. And at this point, I was already involved in the paranormal community, and this person knew that, and they got kind of mad at me, like, blaming me for, like, this weird shit that was happening in their house, which makes me, <laughs> makes me laugh now, because that person did not need any help with chaos happening in their presence. Um, but anyway, I'm not sure who or what that was, or what happened, but the phone was completely okay, nothing was broken, it was just a really weird occurrence. The next story is super short, and honestly, it was really comforting while it lasted. I had this cat from the time I was about 9 or 10 until I was 24, and he got sick and died suddenly. And it was a shock, and it hit me really hard, to say the least. That, was, that cat was like my best friend growing up. Anyway, he used to sleep with me every single night. He would curl up behind my knees and go to sleep. And after he died, of course, the bed felt really empty, and I had a horrible time trying to get to sleep without feeling him back there. And this could have been my grieving brain just trying to make myself feel better. But one night, I was just staring at the wall trying to sleep, and I couldn't sleep. And then I felt the bed jiggle, the same way that it jiggled when a cat would jump up. And I feel little feet pressing down on the blanket as they walked up my body. And then the weight lightly laid down behind my knees. And I could feel this weight pressing up against me. And I was wide awake. And I didn't want to turn around because I felt like I would scare him off or something. So I just laid there until I fell asleep. And it just felt so nice to feel him sleeping there again. But after that, it never happened again. But it was like one last snuggle and then he was really gone. This next one, we're going back in time quite a bit. So we're reversing to when I was about 13. This is probably one of my first legit paranormal experiences that other people witnessed with me. I'd been in the States um, for some like family road trip thing. And when we came home, we stopped off in a town that used to have a psychiatric hospital. In the 50s and 60s, they did all kinds of LSD testing. Actually, they did a they did a lot of testing on patients there, and I've heard horror stories. I'm sure that's part of the reason why it's haunted. So I find it almost funny now that they tore it down and they built houses. Those people are going to have issues. But anyway, when I was 13 and we got there, they had the building fenced off at this point because they had plans to tear it down. So we just walked around the fence line and took some photos, and then we went home. And a few days later, my dad calls me into his office and he's like, you need to see this. And he brings up these pictures and there's a legit lady standing in a white hospital gown with long hair, just standing there looking back at us out the window. But not only that, 
In the following pictures that were taken, one right after the other, she, she switches windows. Still in the same white gown and all. That place had been abandoned for years before this. And finally, they were about to tear it down. But I will upload these to my Instagram so you can see them. So follow me at Firefly Psychology and I will post them. I'd heard stories about people experiencing weird things there, but you never really know what's true or not or what's just like small town rumor. But I can tell you a thousand percent that this is true. And I'm going to upload the pictures and they're not photoshopped and it's just freaking weird. <laughs> All right. So I have one more story about residual energy. So my middle brother is a bit older than me, and he eventually moved out and moved away to go to school. And we have hardwood in the rooms upstairs, and he used to have this office office chair that he would wheel around on up there. You'd always hear him push off from like his desk and go over to his bed or like vice versa. It was a very normal sound to hear until he moved out. And one day I was downstairs no one else was home, and I hear that sound of him wheeling that chair across the floor over my head. And I didn't e- it didn't even occur to me until, like, a few seconds later that, like, wait a second. First off, no one's home. Second of all, there's not even a chair in that room to roll anymore. And it happened a few more times over the months following before finally just stopping. But that is another perfect example of residual energy. So getting to the last few stories here... Besides the one cat I'd grown up with, we had another one, but she was like my mom's cat. You know how animals, like, pick their humans sometimes? Anyway, we found her when she was a kitten out at a lake in the valley near us. Someone had clearly abandoned her. She was maybe eight weeks old. It was fall, it was cold, and it had been raining for days. We'd just gone out to the valley to see the fall scenery, and we pulled into the parking lot, and this little kitten came running over. And the rest is history. However, because she was so little and out in the cold rain for days, she developed a kind of bacterial pneumonia and it ended up scarring her voice box. So for the rest of her life, she had the meow of a granny who smoked 10 packs of cigarettes a day. It was really distinct. So fast forward 15 years later, unfortunately, my first year of university, she got really sick and we had to put her down. A few months after that, I was getting ready for school one day. My cat, who was still alive at the time, was sitting on my bed. Like I said, he stuck to me like glue. And it's quiet. I'm the only one home. My door is open a bit. I'm getting ready. And I hear this meow right outside my door in the hallway. Like the meow. The granny smoker meow. And I just paused thinking, like, did I just hear that right? And I look over at my cat, and his eyes are looking at my door, and they are bugging out of his head. So I'm like, okay, I'm not nuts. He clearly heard that too. So I open the door and look into the hall, and of course there's nothing there. But I'm glad that my cat had that reaction, or I probably would have thought that I was just hearing things. Speaking of disembodied cats, (laughs) this story is about the first time we ever caught an animal EVP. So our group got called out to an old hospital about an hour from our city. And at this time, they were using this hospital, this old hospital, to house EMT trainees as they went through their courses. It was still set up like a hospital. It still had beds. It still had everything in the operating rooms. It even had boxes and boxes of old patient records just abandoned, which I feel like that's probably a HIPAA violation. But anyway. We had heard that some of the students claimed to have heard a cat wandering the halls at night, meowing. And a few had even seen a cat walk into the kitchen a few times, but every time they would go check, they could never find this cat. So when we came and did an investigation, we ended up leaving a digital recorder running in the kitchen area. And of course, we didn't hear anything that night or see a cat, a ghost cat or anything like that. Um, But when we were looking back at evidence later we caught a cat meowing and it sounded like it was pretty close to the recorder like it was in the same room in the building we never saw or heard anything or like a cat near the place that night but apparently there's a ghost cat wandering around there and that was our first animal evp and last but not least this last story is from the birth of our group 
from before the birth of our group, actually. It was captured before we ever knew we even really wanted to be an investigation team. But we had a friend working at a local pet store, and they thought there was some weird stuff that went on at night. So there was a bit of, we just did a little bit of EVP work. Now, this is still a piece of evidence that, to me, is almost too good to be true. Like, I still teeter on the fence about this because it's just... For anyone who watches ghost hunting shows, you've probably heard of Class A EVPs. And those are the EVPs that are so crystal clear, there is absolutely no mistaking what's being said. It's not staticky, it's not growly, it's not distorted. It's like a living, breathing person, like me talking to this mic right now, enunciating into the mic. And there's just no mistaking what's being said. And that's what this was except no living person in the room heard it when they were there, which they should have because it was very loud and very clear. They were in the back room asking questions to anything that might be there, and during the pause between questions, you hear a child, a child, like a little girl, say clear as day, I like you. And still to this day, after all the investigations we have had ever, all the equipment upgrades, the production opportunities, nothing has ever been as crisp and clear as that EVP. I have no idea why a kid would be hanging around, or if it was something pretending to be a kid, I don't know, or if maybe it was just attached to somebody there. No idea, but it was by far the most wild EVP I've ever heard. So that is the end of the stories. These days, I carry a very, very, very high respect for the spiritual realms. There is a lot of power floating around. That is a serious understatement. It actually makes me really uncomfortable when people just dive into certain things without a second thought or preparation. They have absolutely no idea what they're getting themselves into. And I... This is dumb to say now, but I don't want to come off as too woo-woo, but I've seen things go wrong and ruin lives, and that's all I'm going to say about that. If you don't necessarily believe in it, that's fine, but I would never want someone to put themselves in a position to find out in some awful way what other things are capable of. There is some really nasty stuff out there. On the other hand, I've also experienced some very, very pleasant, very light energies. Those ones I almost feel like gifted when they take the time and energy to engage with me. And that is the end of this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope um, I don't sound too insane. I'm just happy that the sciences are kind of trying to start to dive into this kind of stuff and that they're finding that some of it is very plausible or in fact legitimate. Um, but yeah, that's all for today. Have a good day, folks. Ooh,